what I wanted to do is give you first some background information so you understand how we were positioned um, to move forward with treatment so quickly. The first cases of AIDS were recognized in New York, LA, and in San Francisco in 1981 among young adults without any known immunodeficiency. The first cases were recognized in Miami in May 1982 among young men and women, um, patients with hemophilia, and children of mothers with AIDS. So Miami was really an epicenter um, for, the, for this pan, what is now a pandemic, and we literally saw all modes of transmission um, related to this virus. When looking at this taken together, all the cases were very consistent with a blood-borne pathogen, one that could get through the mucosa and therefore was sexually transmission. With the first cases of AIDS, to say that this resulted in rapid public um, concern is, is an understatement. Um, there was rapid questions, what was this? Where did it start? Can it be stopped? Could it be treated? Um, and you can see Newsweek epidemic, you know, looking at a mysterious disease and, and asking literally the same questions. Well, with over, you know, two decades, all those um, questions were answered. The causative agents of AIDS was recognized in 1983. It was formally named immunodeficiency virus HIV in 1986. This is a picture of the HIV virus. On the surface uh, of this virus are these lollipops. Um, these are glycoproteins which protect this virus. So the human sees these sugar moieties and therefore its responses to the sugar moieties and therefore the virus was never really neutralized and effective antibodies against this virus could not be made. Looking at the first cases then that were really seen, AIDS was recognized among men that had sex with men, intravenous drug abusers in California and in New York, as I said earlier. The first cases among women and men were from the Caribbean that we described in 1982, and the first cases among hemophilia was described in Miami in 1982, and the first cases of perinatal transmission were also described in Miami along with New York in 1982. So therefore, again, we were really an epicenter. Um, we were able to understand this infection very well, understand how it was transmitted, and understood the disease process that was occurring. This also, um, because of the diversity of cases we saw in Miami, we were also able to demonstrate very early that there was no heterosexual transmission, there was no casual transmission that was occurring with this virus. So what is HIV AIDS? AIDS is actually the later stage of HIV infection. HIV replication takes place in select immune cells, CD4 cells, in, and in lymphoid tissue, which is the major site of proliferation of this virus and in the peripheral blood. HIV results in progressive immunodeficiency with resultant uh, life-threatening infections if not treated and carried a very high fatality rate. Initial treatments um, focused on treating these complications, treating the opportunistic infections, um, and therefore we, be, we understood quickly um, 
what, it, what were the outcomes with these individual um, infections? And that was important in looking at a clinical trial to look at what were the outcomes that we had to attain to show that any treatment was really effective. Sam Broder from the National Institutes of Health called me and said he had a patient that recovered recovered from pneumocystis carinii pneumonia, which is the most common opportunistic infection with HIV. He then treated them with a new drug, then called azetothymidine AZT. Um, and the patient's CD4 cell count um, increased dramatically, uh, went from literally 20 uh, to two or 300. And had I ever seen this before? And I said, no. Um, he said, would you like to test this drug? And I immediately said, yes. So we designed the first trial with this drug to really understand what zidovudine could do um, for HIV infection. We looked at patients that had pneumocystis carinii pneumonia, a single infection in which we knew what the outcome was. Uh, and we looked at patients earlier in their infection so we could understand the breadth of the impact of using this drug and potentially improving the immune system. Since there was no treatment at that time and we wanted to more definitively answer these questions, we did this as a placebo-controlled trial. The trial was stopped early by the Data Safety Monitoring Board because we saw survival benefits. Looking at the curve on the left, you can see the bottom curve looks at patients that were receiving zidovudine compared to placebo. And this looks at the incidence of fatality in the studies. And you can see with zidovudine that we saw a clearly marked improvement in clinical outcome and particularly survival benefits. As you can see towards the end of the early treatment, we began to see a blip up with increasing cases um, with progression and as, as well as fatality. And this was an important bit of information that I'll talk about uh, in the next few slides because what this signaled to us is that we were seeing resistance with this drug. On the right side are patients that were earlier in their disease. Um, and we looked at progression to AIDS. The bottom curve is the treated group, and you can see that they did very well. They did not have progression um, during the early follow-ups in the study. So six, literally six years from the discovery of the causative agent um, of AIDS, HIV, clear demonstration we could treat and improve the outcome for patients that had HIV AIDS. This really paved the way for funding of treatment programs from industry and federal government. It laid the groundwork um, for the discovery of drugs that we could move forward um, to look at potent combination therapy for treatment. These drugs also, because of the increased incidence and in new cases we were, were seeing, were, were also moved um, into the arena of prevention. As I said earlier, the benefits of zidovudine did not persist to the development of drug resistant. The, drug, the virus was able to replicate against the selection pressure of AZT because it was still, it was not completely suppressed. We quickly moved to the combination of two drug therapies um, and could show that we could again improve survival and clinical benefits over single drug therapy. And then single drug therapy was no longer recommended except for perinatal transmission. This is the replication cycle of HIV. This virus attaches to two receptors of the cell. 
um, CD4 cell gets into the cell, gets integrated, uh, it's an RNA virus, gets integrated into the nucleus of the human cell, um, which is critically important because that immediately signals, uh, signal that we would have latency with HIV infection, and it's converted, um, it, it gets converted to back, to back to RNA and buds off uh, the cell. Knowing that replication cycle and with industry, they quickly came out with drugs that could target any of those points that I showed you on that curve. So therefore, we had a greater armatorium of drugs that we could use to suppress this virus. And we moved um, to two nucleosides, and at that time, a protease inhibitor, uh, and, and clearly were able to demonstrate that with triple drug therapy um, that we could completely suppress virus infection in the periphery because antiretroviral therapy does not get at quiescent or latent cells in which this virus hides. It does not get at tissue levels where this virus really replicates and seeds the blood. So three drugs with different HIV targets were used. It provided significant clinical and survival benefits, and we really saw life expectancy that were near normal for many patients. And it truly changed the course of HIV to a treatable disease. This looks at the curves. These are the early curves, and it just shows you that with the institution of highly active antiretroviral therapy, the occurrence of deaths were really changed. And this shows you on the bottom slide that the select opportunistic infections uh, rapidly um, diminished. There's still a tremendous amount of work to be done because more than 1.2 million are living with HIV in the United States today. More than 150,000 do not know that they have HIV infection. And we still see 50,000 new cases per month, rec or sorry, recognized per year. This is unchanged for the past decade. And, with, and because of that, the move to looking at prevention uh, went into place. Future directions of treatment, just based on some things that I said, are to really look at latency because this virus can be latently infected in cells. But importantly, this virus is in tissue reservoirs, and these reservoirs continue to seed the blood with virus. Uh, and if we ever want to think about a cure, we're going to have to deal with, with these two um, issues. Targets that now can decrease latently infected cells are being looked at, and preliminary data shows that we can minimally decrease um, latently infected cells, but showing that is critically important, and we will rely on industry to really expand out and bring out better drugs. And importantly, we, drugs are now beginning to be looked at that show that we can decrease the HIV viral reservoir, again, which is critically important. The changes in the reservoir are small, but that it can be done uh, is an important thing to show. And again, we'll be looking at different drugs, likely combination of drugs. Because of the incidence of ongoing new infection, antiretroviral therapy was taken into high-risk population, and individuals were who are HIV negative were asked to take these drugs every single day, uh, literally for the rest of their lives, to prevent HIV infection. And at the same time, behavioral modification was put into place. 
within the, the success of this was quickly seen, but what was very obvious that a lot of the treatment failures or progression that occurred was because individuals simply did not take these medications every day uh, and anticipated that if we were going to have effective prevention treatment, we had to look at different drugs. And therefore, this really motivated the discovery of longer-acting drugs, which are now being evaluated. They can be given orally or as IM injections, and they can last one week, one month, two months, and now looking at three-month intervals of giving IM injections. And the last thing that we continue to look at is finding this elusive vaccine. And if you can see that lollipop um, configuration of the virus, you can see why a vaccine development has been very difficult, but it is still going on. And actually, the discoverer, one of the discoverers of the HIV vaccine is actively, Bob Gallo is actively working in this area. Now, I could never have done this alone, and this just on this slide points out some of the colleagues that have worked together um, to move forward. And a colleague on the right of this slide is a very important one. Sophia Loren was an incredible, beautiful woman uh, who came to our HIV um, unit and really advocated uh, for us, was able to fundraise enough money that we built a state-of-the-art research facility. But what this also did, it really showed the community um, that there was really no fear with HIV uh, and that everyone really had to get involved and care about this. Thank you.